It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, welcome to episode 30 of the Hockey News on the Dub podcast brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Carol Schramm here with Adam Kurzenblatt, and we are now just over two weeks away from the 2023 NHL draft as we record today, which is Tuesday, June 13th. So uh, we will be ramping up our draft content over the next three pods. Today, we will cover the news and notes from last week's combine in Buffalo and take you through the most interesting goaltenders who are in the mix to be selected in Nashville later this month. We've also got some news on Connor Bedard because what would we be doing if we didn't talk about Bedard while he is still WHL property for a little while longer. And then uh, we'll finish things off today with the Pittsburgh Penguins as our NHL team of the week. Um, so the, uh, yeah, Bedard makes his first appearance in our first segment here in headlines uh, as he was named a finalist for the IIHF's Male Player of the Year. This is a brand new award that's being presented for the first time this year. Voting is in progress now and voters are allowed to go off the board if they choose. They don't have to vote for one of the seven nominees. Um, it's interesting because it's a real cross-section of players. Bedard is one of the two draft-eligible players on the list, along with Adam Ventilli. And Ventilli's got a good case because he uh, was a rare winner of gold medals at both World Juniors and World Championships in the same year and is also the only player ever to also win the Hobie Baker in the same year as well. So um, the criteria for the award officially is uh, the male player of the year must have complete, competed in at least one IHF tournament this past season, uh, either the World Championship, World Juniors, or the U18s, as well as in a domestic league of the highest caliber for that country, the combined performances of which were deemed superior to all other players. And the winner will be announced on June 19th. So very quickly, the other five nominees were all from Europe. Um, but that includes our world championship MVP and Canucks goaltending prospect, Arthur Silovs, the hero of Latvia, as well as uh, JJ Paterka and Mo Sider from the uh, world championship silver medalists from Germany. Then Dominic Kubelik from the Czech team, who was the leading goal scorer at the world championship. And Andreas Ambul from Switzerland, who would be more of a lifetime achievement sort of candidate. He's a 39-year-old who has played in more world championship games than anybody else. It's up to 130 won games now over 18 years and you know he still could do more too because uh, he had four goals in eight games for the Swiss this year who led the round robin before they uh, lost to Germany in the quarterfinal at the world championship um, so it's interesting that this is such a, a mixed bag of contestants and we've got you know junior level players all the way up against you know a guy like Ambu who is probably old well, who is old enough to be Bedard and Fantelli's dad when you get right down to it. Um, it'll be interesting I guess just depending on sort of how the votes are distributed. Do you think that, um, that Bedard's got a crack at it? I think that Bedard definitely has a crack at it because of his performance at the World Juniors. And then I don't know if they'll include the fact that he participated in last year's World Juniors because that was, you know, within the last 12 months, I guess, technically correct. So 
you could say that he won gold and performed well at two world juniors in the last year but i don't know how they how they're going to divide that up uh situationally i think that he has definitely a good choice for a top three you know you mentioned fantilli though um not just world juniors but world championships as well like that is a pretty um pretty good benchmark i know he didn't score a ton at either tournament but he was part of both of those teams uh he delivered for both of those teams at key moments so we'll really see what happens but i think yeah i think connor is going to be in the top three of voting i am interested to see though uh like if other players are going to get votes and how this whole thing is going to shake out because like you said we've never this has never happened before this is the first year so is there are we going to see also a little bit of countries playing the the game where it's like we're gonna we're gonna give our country uh our country nationalists like a an extra vote somewhere like instead yeah. of giving like is a swiss going to give bedard a vote or are they going to give a swiss player that third place vote type thing so there's a lot yeah. of politics that go into these type of voting as well so i'm really interested to see how it plays out well, that being said, I have voted for IHF awards before, and uh, they make you put your name on your votes, and they tell you that if you are too favoritism to show too much favoritism to your home country, your vote will be thrown out. So um, that is very much baked into the IHF's voting process. So uh, don't get too carried away with that conspiracy theory. As far and I'm not sure if they're voting top three or how that works. Um, they did give out a female player of the year award on June first. So that one has been done. And I looked at how the results were announced from that. They did have only seven players listed in the results. And they just gave a percentage of which player won the X percent of the vote. Um, and in that case, the winner was Hillary Knight, who, again, it, you know, she she had a great year winning gold with, uh, with Team USA and scoring a hat trick in the gold medal game and being the captain and all of those things. But maybe a little bit of a, a Lifetime Achievement Award for her as well. She got 41% of the votes, and uh, the second place um, contestant was Caroline Harvey, who's her teammate on Team USA and arguably had a better individual tournament and maybe an individual, better individual year, and she got like 14%. So that sort of gives you a little bit of an idea of how the voting went down on the women's side. But uh, again, it's, it'll be really interesting to see next week uh, what the breakdown ends up being for the guys. But I am happy that we'll at least get to uh, look at those percentages and judge whether or not we think that Connor was treated fairly when, uh, when the numbers come out. Um, and uh, yes, more Connor Bedard stuff to talk about as far as the uh, NHL scouting combine, with especially with the physical testing that was held on the weekend. And uh, he put uh, all of the concerns about his physique to rest as everybody got to see his his arms and his quads in his uh, Adidas you know, sanctioned wear for, uh, for the testing. Um, he placed in the top 25 in five of the tests and his 14 pull-ups were uh, good for a tie for second place in that category um, and also made for an impressive video that everybody could gawk over. Um, he seemed to take it in stride pretty well that he didn't quite hit five foot 10 on the uh, height and weight measurements, came in at five, nine and three quarters and was like, ah, oh, I thought I might be able to make it. Um, but it sounds like he also 
just did a heck of a job with all of his um, his media availabilities. Um, saw lots of reporters talking about how personable and humble he was. And uh, despite the fact that uh, I saw someone describe the amount of attention that he was getting his, in his scrums as being uh, Taylor Swift-like. So uh, the, the hype is on for sure for, uh, for Bedard. Yeah, um, a couple of things on Bedard from my side. I thought it was really cool that he got to wear number 98 at the Combine because it's like, yeah. I, I don't know exactly how they hand out the numbers, but whoever decided to give him 98, uh, great job there uh, for sure. But yeah, like just the way that he has conducted interviews, not just the last couple of weeks, but really all year where he gives, you know, the the typical hockey answer to whatever question he's asked. But then when he gets the opportunity to talk about you know, his friends or family, he, it's kind of like he switches modes and he gives like really thorough answers and really happy answers. Uh, you know, at the CHL awards, we asked him about his parents and he talked about how much money and time they put into that. Something that a lot of hockey players don't mention or sports people in general don't mention. And then at the uh, combine, just absolutely uh, giving the praise to Andrew Crystal, one of his, uh, one of his friends from childhood, uh, so just great, great opportunity to watch Bedard kind of make that shift um, within the interview. And uh, yeah, whoever trained him, uh, great job uh, with the media side. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, there's not much, uh, not much to poke holes in as far as his on his performance or the way that he's uh, that he's handling the spotlight so far. So um, it looks like. You know, if everything goes the way we expect, the uh, the Chicago Blackhawks are getting a good one for sure in this one. And it's something that uh, we who follow the dub can all sort of take pride in from a distance. Um, I did write a piece on the weekend about the uh, about the combine testing and some of the other results, which include some numbers and some other sort of generalizations. So um, looking through the test results, which we get the top 25, some of the num some of the names from w other WHL players that jumped out at me being on multiple lists included um, Scott Ratzlaff, the goalie from the Seattle Thunderbirds, Zach Benson from the Winnipeg Ice, and uh, two players from the Vancouver Giants, Samuel Hanzek and Jaden Lipinski, popped up a bunch of times as well. Um, I also really wanted to um, give praise to Nico Majadovic for finishing first in the uh, VO2 Max aerobic test just five days after he played in the Memorial Cup final with Seattle. That seems just bonkers to me because we always hear about the players coming from world championships and how they're allowed to opt out of the physical testing because their bodies are worn down and they're not going to be able to give their best. So, you know, having being only like just over a week removed from having seen Mayadovic on the ice competing for a championship and playing an important role for Seattle, um, you know, maybe all those playoffs got his like oxygen processing to optimal levels because he went and absolutely killed that test, which was uh, which was very cool. I mean, I get it for Ratzlaff as the backup goalie for the Thunderbirds. He hasn't uh, hasn't played a game since before playoffs started, so he should have been chomping at the bit to get going. But uh, I thought it was really really impressive to see that from uh, from Mayadovic. Um, the other dub guys who did well in VO2 Max were Benson, Braden Yeager, and and Tanner Molendyke. And then in the other bike test, the Wingate, which is designed to test the anaerobic fitness and recovery ability, the leaderboard there included Jaeger, Molendyke, Hanzek, and also Caden Price, whose uh, love for Olive Garden breadsticks is apparently not standing in the way of his anaerobic fitness levels. Um, 
there are a couple other um, measurements that are done on the on the Wingate anaerobic side as well. So Cohen Zemer from Prince George finished first in the uh, fitness fatigue index on that side. And Mayadovic and Kaylin Lind and Bedard were also in the top 10 on that category. Um, this was like a really good test for dub guys because a little bit further down in the top 25, we also had Benson, Lucas Dragasevic, Danielson, Grayson Sauchin, Luca Cagnoni and Bratslav. And Sauchin also came first if you want to call it that, in the body fat category, he measured in at only 3.64% body fat, which is insane. Like that's almost potentially unhealthy. So that that's a guy who maybe did wear down a little bit over the uh, over the course of the playoffs because uh, the next lowest number was 6.6%. So that's almost twice as high as, uh, as where Sauchin was. So um, he maybe needs some of those Olive Garden breadsticks over the next few weeks to start uh, bulking himself up for summer. Uh, Bedard came in 14th in body fat at 7.82%. And uh, some of the other dub players that I mentioned ranked well there as well. Um, generally, it seems like lower test results don't have much of an impact on the top prospects, but I feel like good test results can boost some of the more mid-level guys seeing Hanzek and Lipinski coming up so often. It makes me encouraged for them that they uh, that they might end up showing well in terms of their draft position. And uh, I think for a guy like Hanzek especially, that's, that's a really nice reminder where he got a little bit lost in the shuffle after missing so much time when he was injured at, uh, at World Juniors. So um, we'll see how it all shakes out and we'll have more coverage of the uh, forward and defenseman in the next couple of podcasts after this one. So uh, back to my current day WHLers, we had uh, another trade and another uh, familiar name ended up this week. Yeah, so this was a uh, pretty big trade uh, in the WHL and we saw Tija Ginla go from the Seattle Thunderbirds to the Kelowna Rockets for uh, Grady Linton a first round pick in 2024 and a second round pick in 2027. Now, Aginla didn't get, uh, he was at the uh, Memorial Cup, but didn't uh, make it into any games. Uh, turned 17 in August and had 14, and 18 points in 48 games for Seattle this season. Uh, overall, just three playoff games. So there was definitely a little bit of frustration on that part. Um, it looked like not get for any player you know there is frustration when you can't get into the lineup but Seattle was such a stacked team that uh you know with him going to Kelowna he'll probably get a little bit more of an opportunity uh he also got the opportunity to play at the U17s uh where he had seven points in seven games so a little bit on who Seattle's getting back a uh, great Lenton uh one year older than uh Aginla, had eight points in 59 games for Kelowna uh he's one of those players that kind of just adds some depth uh, for Seattle and yeah this trade from the rocket side shows you that they're that they know that their time with uh, Crystal is limited and they're gonna go full steam ahead and try to uh, make a little run out of this yeah and it doesn't hurt that again that's getting traded back to his hometown either um so that uh that that didn't surprise me much and uh from seattle's point of view this i guess is the beginning of them starting to recoup the gajillion draft picks that they traded away and for all those players to make their run this year so uh any opportunity that they have to get some uh, some high-end draft picks back is probably a good thing for seattle as they start their cycle again um next up we have uh, a 
former WHLer uh, from both the playing and coaching side, had uh, good success during his dub time, uh, gets his crack at uh, an NHL coaching job. That's Ryan Huska, the new head coach of the Calgary Flames. Yes, so Ryan Huska, uh, plenty of success at the WHL level. So as a player, he was part of that Kamloops Blazers three Memorial Cups in four years back in the 90s. Uh, so that's always, you know, a kind of cool accomplishment to say. Uh, but he didn't stop there winning the Memorial Cup as he uh, was part of the Kelowna Rocket staff when they won in 2004 as an uh, assistant coach. So he was an assistant coach from 2002 to 2007 with the Rockets and then was promoted to the head coach from 2007 to 2014. At that point, he got the job with the uh, Flames AHL uh, affiliate. So he's really worked his way up the ranks from player, you know, done the WHL route, now gone through the HL to the NHL where he's the assistant coach and now gets his opportunity to shine. Yeah, and he's been an assistant with the Flames on the on the big club for the last five years. So he certainly has familiarity at the NHL level. I'm a little bit surprised that rookie GM Craig Conroy decided to keep it in-house and hire a rookie head coach as well. Um, certainly the familiarity is there, but uh, it doesn't exactly shake up the Flames organization in any meaningful way, um, considering sort of where things ended for them last season. And I guess given that they do still owe uh, Daryl Sutter, $8 million for that contract that he does not have to uh, coach to uh, earn. Um, I suspect that uh, Huska probably was one of the uh, less budget-breaking options that was available to them, shall we say. So um, that may have been a consideration as well when uh, when deciding to go with Huska. So um, everything I've heard, people seem to like him, seems like a good guy. And like you said, has had, you know, tremendous success on and off the ice. So, uh, you know, best of luck to him. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see where things go from there. Uh, now we will turn to the draft profile segment of our show for today. And we're going to move into the incredibly difficult to map <laughs> goaltender department. Uh, just looking at some of the final rankings lists that are starting to come out. The goalies are all over the place, but we've got uh, a few candidates from the dub that we wanted to uh, to roll through with you today, including uh, the number one ranked goaltender from NHL Central Scouting's list, I think from both mid midterms and the finals. And that was uh, Carson Bjarnason from the Brandon Weekings. Yeah, so uh, Bjarnason, number one ranked North American goaltender heading into uh, the draft by NHL uh, scouting. Uh, he's been first for, I believe, the entire year, definitely at the midway point. Um, he had a busy season that included a trip to the top prospects game and U18s where he won a bronze medal for Canada. Uh, but that was the tournament that he was injured late in uh, and uh, um but luckily, even though he was he did get injured at the tournament, he was able to take part in the scouting combine uh, this last week. So uh, that's a good sign. Um, as for his season, he finished the year with three shutouts, which ranked tied for fourth in the WHL, was also part of Canada's Halinka Gretzky gold-winning team before the season started, uh, making one start during the tournament. And uh, when we kind of look at his... Overall projection, we're looking at a player with goaltenders. It's kind of hard to project when they're going to be making the next step to the NHL, but he's going to need a couple years at the AHL level. So if we do all the math, it kind of equals out to that five year span where we can start talking about maybe him making the NHL as a backup. 
Um, one of his best attributes is uh, he's really good at taking away the bottom of the net. He's really quick at going down, so he's able to seal off that bottom. But one of the biggest concerns is uh, really a common trait that we see among junior goaltenders, and that is that he likes to move out of his net. So he sometimes loses where his his overall positioning. He'll slide a little bit too much, um, and that makes it you know that leaves open parts of the net which is never a positive uh thing <laughs> um now when we're looking at kind of draft uh, rankings and where he belongs um he's definitely worthy of a top two ranking in my opinion um but i'm not sure if he go if he was the number one goaltender in this draft for uh, north american skaters i'm a big fan of uh michael uh Parable, who uh was in the ushl this year uh and like we'll just we'll see kind of how this goaltending um situation falls out but for me i think that based off of the draft based off the forwards based off of everything we know that if we're trying to project draft position we're looking at maybe like a late second third round pick for uh bjarnison yeah, I think that's a really good point that there's some um, that this draft is so rich with forwards that it might move the tide for the goaltenders down a little bit lower than what we've seen in the last few years. And it might be a little while before the goalies start getting taken, especially because there's no real not well, part firstly, because there's no real knock your socks off goalie candidate. And then secondly, because goalies are insane and there's no way to even think that a knock your socks off candidate is actually going to project and go all the way through and turn out to be an important player for your franchise. So when there's all those forwards to feast on, um, it makes sense that uh, that teams might be a little bit more um, cautious about when they decide to use a pick on a goaltender and we might see them go a bit later. Um, as well as Harabal, um, Trey Augustine from the U.S. National Team Development Program is also getting a lot of shine. He won bronze at, uh, at World Juniors as the U.S. starter and then uh, followed up a silver medal at the 2022 U18 tournament with a gold this spring. So he's accumulated a lot of hardware over the last 12 months or so. Um, Craig Button, on the other hand, um, from TSN, he dropped his top 100 list on Monday, and he does not buy into our goalies going late theory at all. He's got uh, Bjarnason as the top ranked goalie and has him as a first rounder at number 24. So, um, you know, Button knows a lot and knows a lot of people. So we'll see whether or not that uh, ends up being the way things go. He's got Harabal at 26 and Augustine at 20 at 33. Sorry. And then there's a big drop before we get to the next um, goalie on his list. Yeah. And then, you know, when we talk about uh, like goaltenders and where they're going to go, we look, we can also look at Ryan Kennedy of the hockey news who released his top 120 rankings uh, today on a recording day. So he has Sarabo as the first ranked goaltender at 25 and then a little bit of a surprise, but not over the last couple of weeks. And that's Adam uh, uh, Guyan. So he has Guyan ranked at 34th. Now this is an interesting one because Guyan is ranked six on uh, Central Scouting's North American goaltending list. And that really demonstrates how varied the perception around, you know, each goaltender is and uh, where they're going to be selected heading into the draft. And then as for the other two, uh, Bjornison is at 37, while Augustine is at 77th. So, yeah, just uh, – and then we, we're not even talking about the where the international goaltenders are going to go as well. So it's really a which goalie do you like best at this point, uh, it feels like. 
Yeah. Um, just before we recorded, I also came across Scott Wheeler from The Athletic, dropped his extremely comprehensive uh, top 100 list. If you go to that and click on any of the names, he's got like six paragraphs on every player. I don't know if it's every player all the way through or just the top guys, but it's a, it's a lot of text and they had to come up with some very clever computer um, techniques in order to make it all fit and make it easy to navigate. So he's got Augustine first and Harabal second near the end of the second round. So he's a little closer to what you were thinking in terms of sort of where they would land. And then he's got a, go a USHL goalie named Jacob Fowler early in the third ahead of Gajan and Ratzlaff and Guyan, sorry. Um, and then he has Bjarnason all the way down at number 89. So um, like you said, it's just um, you know, a total stir the pot mixed bags. And I imagine when it comes to actually getting into the mock drafts part of things, um, you know, which teams like which guys and sort of what their needs are and what their goaltending depth is like all factors in as well into when those selections are going to be made. Um, Anyways, we've got a couple other guys from the dub that we wanted to talk about as well. Um, Scott Ratzlaff, we mentioned earlier, did killed it on the testing at the Combine. Uh, and he's number four on Central Scouting's list uh, going into the draft. Yeah, so Scott Ratzlaff has gotten a little bit of a bump uh, uh, compared to the midterm rankings where he was six. Uh, he was the starter at the Halinka Gretzky uh, Cup, posting a 4-0 record on route to the gold medal. Uh, one of nine goaltenders in the league to hit 25 wins this season. And one of his best moments of the year was when Thomas Millich was off at World Juniors. He really stepped up winning seven straight games from December 13th to uh, January 6th. Um, another goaltender who is most likely, you know, in that five to six year range uh, when we're looking at when he could be considered a backup has to go through the AHL. Um, biggest asset is his quickness and net as he's great at sliding into position with ease. So he's never really out of position. It, it looks like on the ice. Uh, one of his biggest concern is he has trouble with high shots and, uh, that also kind of checks in with his height at six foot and half an inch and 175. So he's not the biggest goal there. Uh, he does have a little bit trouble trouble lifting up his shoulders when he's inside the net and and because he likes to play downwards it does leave you know shoulder shoulder length um uh parts open of the net uh now when i look at uh, you know where the ranking is i would say that fourth is a little bit high and the only reason why i say the fourth is a little bit high is because he's played 11 games since the beginning of february so like we don't actually know what he looks like right now so while all these other goaltenders were getting a long run, get, going through their championships, going through their playoffs as starters, Ratzlaff was sitting on the bench. So we don't really know where his development is right now. We also don't know what he really looks like behind a non, you know, Seattle team, which is a, <laughs> yeah. which is a good, in, which is a good point. Like how, where, where is his development actually at when you put him behind, you know, a team that maybe isn't the number one team in the, uh, or one of the top teams in the WHL. Yeah, and when you say that, the fact that he was also great at Helenka Gretzky behind an amazing Team Canada team, and that he was really good at top prospects behind half a team of the best prospects in the CHL. Like, yeah, you're right that he's uh, he's played behind some really good players this year. Um, even if he does go late, though, um, you know, as a smaller guy, he can take some solace in the fact that some of the other late-ranked goaltenders have ended up having uh, having big success. UC Saros is obviously the obvious 
obvious one who uh, was a fourth rounder. Um, and, uh, you know, Connor Hellbuck is not small, but he was a fifth rounder when he was drafted and, uh, you know, has turned out to be one of the top goalies in the last decade. So uh, there's, there's, there's definitely room for the guys who go later to still make their mark in this very mysterious business that they are all in. Um, next up on our list as, uh, as our third goalie in the spotlight, we've got uh, a player who's been passed over two times, but continues to try to make a case for himself. Yeah, so that is uh, Thomas Sukanik out of the Tri-City Americans program. So finished ranked ninth on Central Scouting. Uh, slight drop from eighth at the midterm point. So he's basically stayed the exact same. Uh, this is his last opportunity to be drafted. If he isn't drafted, uh, we'll see if a team uh, signs him and brings him into camp and uh, what happens off of there. Um, but yeah, he was a workhorse for Tri-City playing in 46 games, which was the eighth most in the league. And that's super impressive considering that he was also at the World Juniors uh, where he uh, led Czechia to a silver medal and performed uh, absolutely incredibly at that tournament. Uh, and yeah, it's it will be interesting to see because he's already 20. Uh, so he's a little bit further in his development. So realistically, an NHL timeline is, you know, three or four years away if he can make the jump to the AHL this coming year uh, if he gets drafted and signed he'll most likely play in the AHL if he doesn't then there's some then there's a chance that he could come back to the uh, WHL which will be interesting especially considering how Tri-City has developed their uh, team um, biggest asset is ability to read the play and disrupt cross ice passes in front of him so he's really good at sticking his um, sticking his goals tender stick out blocking those passes or kind of taking away angles so that players are forced to shoot rather than pass. Um, but he's also very aggressive, which is a little bit of a concern. Uh, he's not afraid to kind of challenge the skater if they're coming in on a breakaway or two-on-one outside of their crease. And at the NHL level, that's something that you have to be really careful of because, you know, it might work at the WHL level, but at the pro level when everybody is just so fast uh, and can make moves really quickly, you can get uh, burned pretty easily. Um, and then when we're looking at position, I think ninth, ninth is a good position. I do think he'll get drafted, but we're kind of looking at one of those fifth, sixth or seventh round uh, picks, especially because he's a little bit older. Yeah, the um, the lists that we're seeing, these uh, these guys, that the older players that are going into a second or third draft seem to be pretty much overlooked on the uh, on the lists. But again, you know, we've got. 32 teams times seven rounds. So that's like 240 guys. So even Ryan's top 120 still only takes us through about the first half of the draft. So there is still room for players like this to get selected. Um, but it does seem like the, uh, the, the older goalies are getting uh, overlooked a little bit at this stage. So um, that brings us to the uh, your sleeper pick, who is sort of in a, in a similar category. And we are going to stump for Thomas Millich on this podcast until we can't stump for him anymore. Yes. Uh, I do want to make one quick point about the uh, overagers as well as that, you know, you don't think about it, but COVID did play a massive role in goaltender sure. development. So we might see a more second and, you know, more goalies that were passed over selected because now we finally have this long reign of data that we can use or like yeah. that teams can use from their development. So that is, even though COVID happened COVID season happened a quite a long time ago. It's still having those ripple effects, especially on the goaltending uh, market. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is the final year for Thomas Millich. Uh, he better get drafted because he deserves to be drafted. <laughs> uh, for some reason, he dropped from the midterm mark 
uh, to the final. So he went from 25th to 28th, which, I mean, 28th for Milic is kind of ridiculous uh, on the NHL Central Scouting, in my opinion. I mean, he won goalie of the year in the WHL. He led Canada to a gold medal. Uh, he won the WHL championship and led Seattle to the Memorial Cup final while also being named WHL playoff MVP and selected to the CHL's first all-star game or all-star team. Like, it's like, what more does he have to do to yeah. get to get the respect that he deserves? Uh, and uh, just a really cool stat from him. So over the last uh, four seasons, he's won 90 of his 135 games that he's played in. So, I mean, this guy, and that includes the regular season and playoffs. So that just shows kind of like, I know that he's played behind good teams, but you don't win WHL MVP, playoff MVP without performing like an MVP. Like they don't just give it to the goaltender just because. Yeah. Uh, so um, when we kind of look at uh, what he's best at, that's he's very positional sound and he can track the puck well. Um, now, one of the, parts that he does have to work on is he's not super fast at getting down to the low, uh, to the ice. And that's kind of where teams beat him low to the ice, you know, on wraparounds or shots that come low. So we'll see if he's able to uh, work on that over the next couple of years in the uh, AHL. Um, Cause it looks like he'll go to the AHL. If he, if he's dra- like, like Sukanik, if he's drafted and signed, he'll probably, he'll most likely play in the AHL. If not, then we'll talk a little bit about the WHL and then Seattle has a decision to make with, rats laughing him uh but yeah like this is a guy that i hope gets drafted uh, like i don't see a reason why he can't get drafted if he is he's gonna go late round but i think he's a valuable selection and you know if teams are interested in signing him why not draft him and get that first opportunity you know if you draft him now you have that you you don't have to fight other teams to try to sign him so even if you're spending a seventh round pick that's still valuable because you get the signing rights right away. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's a super good point that you made about the COVID situation as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, because the goalie that outdueled um, Milic in the Memorial Cup final, William Russo from the Quebec Ramparts, is also 20 years old and also undrafted and also won playoff MVP for his league. Um or no, he didn't. James Malatesta no. did. Yes. Um, nevertheless, my point stands. <laughs> um, I got to pull these things out of he my was, head. Uh, he was Patrick Waugh's MVP. And yes, he was. That that's that's absolutely correct. Um, and uh, and Patrick Waugh said he thought that Malatesta would have thought that too. So um, you know, big big love for William Russo. And so again, it's just another example of a guy in that same age bracket who has been overlooked and who maybe isn't the biggest guy in the world as well. And uh, you know, so there may be a little bit of a glut of these uh, overage goalies that are are in the mix this year. And you're dead right that that might be um, a more valuable way for uh, for some of these teams if they're looking to move goalies into their system a little more quickly. Um, we also wanted to cover one um, faller from Central Scouting's list, somebody whose stock has maybe slipped a little bit from midterms and uh, and also had a little bit of a rough time at the Memorial Cup. And so uh, you picked out uh, Dylan Ernst from Kamloops as uh, the, 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 the goalie in this category. Yeah, so Dylan Ernst, uh, he was 15th at the midterm mark and dropped all the way to 26. Uh, he had a good playoff run, but he really struggled in the Memorial Cup. Uh, that could have been fatigued. He played 53 games plus an additional 14 playoff games. So, you know, he 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 
he played all but what sixteen games this year, something around there, for the Kamloops Blazers, and then went had a couple week break, and then was thrown into the Memorial Cup. So uh, that's um, you know f- goalie fatigue is real. A uh, cool stat from the season though is that he finished with two assists in the regular season and two assists in the playoffs. So that's something that you don't always see, and uh, just kind of a cool little uh, cherry on top of his season. Um, but when we're kind of looking at his development, this is a goaltender who's a little bit farther away. You know, this is a six, seven year project, uh, project goaltender. If you're going to get him into the NHL, he's got a good glove hand. That's kind of his best attributes, but there's times where he doesn't look super comfortable in the net. So when we were at that Memorial cup, he was, like I mentioned, he was sliding a lot, like, but where Bjarnason kind of slides and he's still covering the net, Ernst was sliding and like almost at the board sometimes, like it looked, mm-hmm. he looked really uncomfortable and he's done it. It's not just a Memorial Cup thing. It's been kind of a thing all year. He overplays the puck a little bit, which is something that, like we said, this is, you know, these are junior goaltenders. They're still developing. So that's something that if he goes into the right system, he can really work on. Uh, You know, I think that his ranking is a little bit low, but we'll kind of see what what happens at the draft. At this point, when you see a player drop that far, it usually indicates that the scout's, and that central scouting, there's not a lot of chatter around him. So unfortunately, I wouldn't be surprised if he isn't drafted. Uh, but if he isn't, then we're kind of in that Sukanic Millich conversation next year where, you know, he could be one of the top goaltending prospects in what would be uh, his, uh, what would that, that would be his second time around in, the, or third time around in the draft. Yeah. Do you, um, do you think he'll be back in Kamloops next year? Yeah. So that's a very interesting question. Um, there's a lot of, interesting chatter coming out around the Kamloops Blazers and what they're going to do, because as we know, they went all in this year. So they, you know, they could potentially trade guys like Dylan Ernst, Fraser Minton, Kyle Masters, if he's back, uh, and then kind of hand over the reign to the next team. So uh, Jesse uh, Sanche is the goaltender of the future at the, uh, at the moment, 17 years old. He played one game last year where he stopped 15 of 17 shots in a shootout loss to the Prince George Cougars. So if he is, if Kamloops believes that he's ready to go, that could potentially make a Dylan Ernst trade somewhere else to a more of a contender because Kamloops could lose essentially 90% of their top nine next year. And they, they could, they, it makes sense that they would go into full rebuild just based off of what happened this year. So if that happens, yeah, Burns could be off to another uh, com- like top team and they could maybe get some decent uh, draft picks and maybe a you know 16-year-old goaltender, some higher draft picks that they can use on goaltenders for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's our goalie spotlight for, uh, for this week. We will wrap up uh, with one final segment, which is our NHL team of the week. We only have one more NHL team to go uh, after this. And so uh, this week it is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, so one WHL player this season, and that is defenseman Owen Pickering, who played for the uh, Swift Current Broncos. So listed at 6'4", 185 pounds. He was the 21st overall pick in 2022, and he was their Swift Current's captain this year. So had a career-high 45 points in 61 games and finished the season playing eight games in the AHL. Although he can uh, come back next season as a 19-year-old, he has a good shot to make the Penguins based on their slim defensive depth and salary cap limitation. 
Um, but if he doesn't uh, make the Penguins, he will return to the WHL as he can't play in the AHL full-time um, because he doesn't turn uh, 20 until uh, January. Okay, and the uh, the Penguins had three other dub alums in their uh, NHL system this year as well. Yeah, so uh, Spokane Chiefs uh, and back-to-back WHL Defenseman of the Year as well as 2019 CHL Defenseman of the Year, Ty Smith. Uh, he came over from New Jersey at the beginning of the season, spent the majority of the year in the AHL, but did play nine games with the Penguins, recording uh, four points. Then we have former Edmonton Oil King and Memorial Cup champion goaltender Tristan Jari, who uh, won 24 games and appeared in 47. A bit of a down year, but he still posted a 909 save percentage, uh, which is always a positive. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if Jerry stays with the uh, with the Penguins, especially with this regime change that they're going through. He is a UFA this summer and has been really good at times, but injuries have been an issue for him. So um, in some ways, I feel like uh, new Pittsburgh president Kyle Dubas is having a little bit of a case of deja vu over all the years that he has been trying to uh, pin down a healthy number one goaltender with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And that's going to be probably job one for him uh, in Pittsburgh as well. Um, and then our final uh, dub alum in the Pittsburgh system is another goaltender also. Yeah, so another Memorial Cup champion. This is Spokane Chiefs uh, goaltender Dustin Tokarski, who I remember when he was first coming up uh, in the WHL, I was a huge fan. And, uh, you know, I love Dustin Tokarski uh, and what he was able to do for that Spokane Chiefs organization. So played four games with Pittsburgh, uh, but again, spent the majority of the season with Wilkes-Barre Scranton in the AHL. Seventh organization for the 33-year-old as he continues to stick around the league. Uh, and yeah, just a player that you like, just watch, you know, from his time with Team Canada and everything, just another WHL player that there's a lot of love for, I feel like. Yeah, I think everybody was happy to see him get uh, a few more do- uh, NHL games this year. It was like, oh, Dustin Tukarski, kind of totally forgot about him, but uh, good for him for still being around and sticking with it. Yeah, and then we'll uh, finish off here with some other connections out of Wilkes-Barre uh, Scranton. Um, they are former Vancouver Giants and Medicine Hat Tigers, Lucas Svechkovsky, uh, Tri-City American and Calgary Hitman, uh, Kyle Olson, and then Prince George Cougar and Portland Winterhawk goaltender, Taylor Gautier. Perfect. So that wraps up our NHL team of the week and takes us to the end of this week's show. Um, As always, thank you for listening. And if you haven't done so already, please make sure that you subscribe to THN on the dub brought to you by BetMGM on your favorite podcast platform. To check out past episodes of the show and all the others in our Hockey News podcast family, go to thehockeynews.com slash podcast. Next week, we'll be back with profiles of the top draft eligible WHL defensemen and the winner of the IHF Player of the Year Award. And uh, uh, spoiler alert, Adam is also working on lining up another top prospect to chat with us at next week's show as well. So cross your fingers for that and please join us again then. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Take care and have a great week. 